Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world, as well as a show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app. We like to keep you up to date on all things tech every single day during the week and the weekend with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free, of course, from techcentral.ie. Now, on the show, we've often talked about the relationship that we have with the data that we create and how that is used by Facebook or big companies or indeed governments. On May the 25th this year, the General Data Protection Regulation comes into force, which is going to change the way our data can be gathered, held onto and used. And to find out more about that, Niall Kitson, our techcentral.ie editor, went and met with Laura Fallon, who's an expert in the area because she's a partner with Hayes Solicitors. Here they are. So I guess... When we're looking at GDPR, a little bit of a history lesson is uh, required because on the show we've been talking about um, the collapse of Safe Harbour, but really the story goes as far back as 1995. Yeah, that's right. So the existing European law is all set out in a European directive which is uh, dated back to 1995. And we have implemented that directive here in Ireland with our own Data Protection Acts. And back as far as 2012, actually, the European Commission started to look at reforming data protection law because the way in which the world has developed is we're now collecting more information about people and sharing more information about ourselves than ever before because of really huge advances in technology. So you had a situation where you've all the various member states with their own national laws implementing that 1995 directive. So slightly different laws across Europe, but you had data flowing freely around all of those borders and slightly different laws regulating it. So the European Commission looked at that and they felt the 1995 directive really hadn't stood the test at time. You know, it was pre-Facebook, pre-Twitter, pre-social media, all of those things. And that it really, really needed to be updated. And what they did then was, in after four years of kind of negotiation around the wording, adopted what's known as the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. And not to kind of get too technical about it, but a regulation is a little bit different than a directive in that it's a type of European legislation which just applies automatically uh, to each member state. So from the 25th of May 2018, every single member state in the European Union, that, direct, that regulation will simply apply to it directly it won't need any they won't need any national implementing legislation and every member state will have the same uh, data protection laws i think as an example (coughs) of how things will change if you look at the case of europe v facebook Mm. where uh, at the moment facebook is being prosecuted in ireland because that's where facebook's um europe headquarters is that's not going to be an issue anymore that can be prosecuted either maybe in the european court of justice could potentially, yeah, it could potentially be, but the Irish Data Protection Commissioner is likely to still be the lead authority uh, if you wanted to make a complaint about Facebook. But yeah, you could complain in your own member state. What's interesting is that once we start getting things from a, a European level, this sort of top-down sort of approach, this does put pressure, or rather, rather it provides an opportunity for countries to reevaluate the role of the Data Protection Commissioner and how they interact with companies and individuals. So how do you see that relationship changing in Ireland? 
Um, I wouldn't see the relationship changing in Ireland too much between how the Data Protection Commissioner works now and how she's going to work um, post-May. I mean, she is an independent authority and she's supposed to be an independent authority under both her existing data protection legislation and the General Data Protection Regulation. What the General Data Protection Regulation does, though, is that it gives her much more power in terms of enforcement. So it really gives her much more teeth to enforce uh, data protection law. But, you know, we are at the moment, and we will be uh, post-May 2018, uh, bound by decisions of the European Courts of Justice in respect to data protection law. So, you know, that very recent decision of the uh, individual who uh, took a case to make a complaint to the Irish Data Protection Commissioner about his right of access to his exam scripts, and the Irish Data Protection Commissioner took the view that that wasn't personal data, went all the way through the um, Irish courts, who then referred it on to the European Court of Justice. And the European Court of Justice, I think late last December, said, put your exam, somebody's exam scripts, and the comments of the examiner on those exam scripts actually do constitute personal data. And now we are bound by that decision in terms of if there was to be a, you know, if if another university failed to give uh, data, to give somebody their exam scripts as a result of, da- of a data access request we would be bound and the Irish Data Protection Commissioner would, would be bound by that decision. So that's the position in law at the moment and that won't change post May 18. I think that's a really interesting case because it is effectively what the same relationship we have with Facebook really, uh, especially the American companies have a very different view of data yeah. than, uh, than in Europe uh, in Europe the, I, I think the perspective is very much you've created it, it's yours, Mm. whereas in the States, you've used our system to create Mm. it, it's ours. Yeah, well, I mean, the definition of personal data is data that relates to an identified or an identifiable living individual. So... The European, when the European Court of Justice looked at that, it is a very interesting case and it is a very broad, I think, interpretation of what personal data is. They said this is clearly data related to that individual. This is clearly, you know, his own intellectual thoughts going down on paper. He can clearly be identified from this information because they had his exam number and they could put that together with his name. So they could identify who it was. And then going even further than that, that the examiner's comments on his exam script were his personal data because that was judgments about his um, you know intellectual thoughts and his answers is a hugely broad definition of uh, what personal data is so the definition of personal data is just getting broader and broader all of the time and that's really been driven by the decisions of the European Court of Justice One thing that uh, you uh, mentioned there earlier is sort of the data protection commissioner getting more teeth Uh, in terms of enforcement. So um, tell us a little bit about the powers that will be in place now that perhaps were on paper before but weren't being enforced or that will actually come into practical effect. Yeah, well the Data Protection Commissioner already has certain powers of enforcement. She can already bring enforcement action against you. She can go in and have a look at what you're doing and she can say, you know, you're not complying with data protection or you need to do X, Y and Z in terms of compliance with it. So she already has that power. She will have that power post-May 2018. But the really interesting thing about the General Data Protection Regulation is that the Data Protection Commissioner now 
now has the power to impose what's known as an administrative fine. So an administrative fine is where a regulatory body like the Data Protection Commissioner just imposes a fine directly on an organisation who's found to be in breach of data protection law. So she doesn't need to go through the process of bringing you to court, you know, in front of a judge and a jury and going through the various proofs and, you know, succeeding in a prosecution against you. She can go in and she can decide based on the information available to her that you've breached data protection law and she will have the power then to impose upon you a, a an administrative fine directly on you. So that is quite a, a powerful enforcement tool. So the, there's been, you know, kind of a lot of media coverage of those fines because the level of the fines are absolutely huge. So the top fine is 20 million euro or 4% of worldwide turnover. But, you know, sort of when you say those kind of figures, SME organizations say look sure if we got a fine like that close the doors because we'll never be able to pay it but I do think that's obviously going to be reserved for the very worst and most serious case but like I, I do think we can we will we are likely to see very significant fines you know you could see fines six easily you could see six figure fines being uh, brought against uh, organizations for breach of data protection law because the data protection commissioner to be fair to her has to it's a real balancing act she has to make sure that those fines are more than the cost of compliance because otherwise an organization will just say well look i'm not going to implement anything because it's too expensive i'll just take the risk of the fine it's cheaper to get the fine so you know she does have to she does have to think about that when she's uh, setting the level of those fines so we just have to wait and see uh, what those, you know, the level of the fines are going to be. And maybe in five years' time or ten years' time, we'll be able to say to clients, look, for a breach like that, where it's, you know, your kind of first time or your second time, you're likely to get a fine of X, Y and Z, or, you know, it's a first time breach and you kind of acted reasonably and you've cooperated with the Data Protection Commission, you're probably not going to get a fine this time. But if you do it again, you know, you're looking at, you know, a serious fine. But we just don't know yet because no sort of precedents have been set in terms of the the level of the administrative fines. What's kind of interesting is that it's almost turning the uh, DPC into a a sort of a a service model, really, where there will be an awful lot more audits out there, but people will come in and go, actually, you know, we won't give you the first time uh, a fine first time around, but here's what you do. We'll come back, and if yeah. you're not in compliance, then you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could certainly see situations in which that happens. So the Data Protection Commissioner could carry out an audit, and she could say, "Look, you're not in compliance with you. You know this isn't right, or your privacy policy really isn't up to scratch. You need to tell all of your customers a little bit more information about what you're doing with." their data and you know if you do that within a certain amount of time I'd be happy enough with you and there's no fine or it could be that she'll proceed to a fine straight away for that we just don't know yet the way in which uh, she's going to operate um, post uh, May 2018. So when looking at GDPR at the practical level um there, it's it's sort of a, an inside and out way to look at it. I mean, businesses have certain processes that they have to uh, introduce. Uh, customers will have powers that they didn't have before, weren't aware that they had before. Yeah. So from a business perspective, um, how are they lining up? Like, what sort of measures are businesses having to put in place? Yeah, well, what businesses should be doing now is they should be looking at, look, what personal data do we actually have? So for some businesses that are providing sort of business-to-business services, Services, probably the only personal data that they're likely to hold is their employee data. For other da- for other businesses that are providing services to consumers, 
or you know for accountancy firms or legal firms or they're holding an awful lot of information about individuals they are going to have to do a good deal more so they're likely to have a lot more personal data so first of all you need to look at what do we have why do we have it and do we have you know a lawful processing ground for processing this information so are we relying on consent or one of the other processing grounds like contract or legitimate interest how long have we had this information should we still have it and what are we telling people at the time we collect their information and that's really important because that's all around transparency so one of the key principles of the GDPR is uh, transparency. So you need to be transparent and to tell people exactly what it is that you're going to be doing with their information. At the moment, under our current data protection law, you are required to give them some information at the time you collect their data. So who you are and what you're going to do with it and if you're going to transfer it outside the European Union. But post May 18, you'll be required to give an awful lot more information at the time you collect someone's data. So uh, organisations will need to look at, look, where do they, where you know, in what privacy statement do they say that to people at the time of collection of the data? And that's all going to need to be updated. Organisations are also going to need to look at what third parties they engage to process data on their behalf. So your IT company, your security company, your marketing consultants, all of those people are likely to have access to personal data that you've collected, that you're the data controller of. They are essentially what's known in data protection laws, your data processor. The general data protection regulation requires more information or more clauses to be put in the contracts between those entities. So all of those third party contracts now need to be looked at, updated. You'll need to look at all your employment contracts and what you say to your employees about what you do with their information. All of that is going to need to be updated. You need to probably train your staff on, look, these are the new rights that people have so that they recognise them. So, you know, there's the right to be forgotten, the right to data portability. All of those are new rights. Uh, They're going to, you know, the the people within the organisation are going to have to understand that there is a requirement to now report a data breach within a 72 hour window. First of all, you need to get people to understand what a data breach actually is, what a data breach looks like, and if something happens, that they go to the appropriate person so that reporting window can be met. So it's measures like that that organisations are taking now in order to gear themselves up for May. I think the issue of processors is particularly problematic, especially when you're dealing with US companies yeah. like Google, for whom your data is is their revenue model, but an awful lot of people use their cloud services. So how do you find the level of awareness is on the part of customers where you say, you know, actually, you, know, you might be very good at managing your data in-house. You don't necessarily know what Google is up to. Yeah, and that is something that when you go out to meet with uh, clients and you're discussing, look, who are the third parties? They often forget that those cloud service providers are third parties that are processing data on their behalf. And you have to say, look, you know, you need to look at the standard terms and conditions that are in place between you and them. And what do they say about how they process data? And you need they need to understand that they're responsible for the actions of the data processor as well, so that they could have a liability to uh, a data subject if something goes wrong, um, which may be totally outside of their control. One thing that's uh, sort of a, a, a rising or a position that is coming to pro- prominence is the idea of the data protection officer. Um, I get the sense that at the moment it can st- it's 
somebody within a company gets lumped with this additional responsibility. Um, how seriously are companies taking it? Is, it? is it something that's being added on to someone's role or are companies looking at this from the perspective of we've got a huge database, we need someone to come in on a contract basis yeah. or we need to bring someone in permanently? Yeah, so it depends really on the company. So there's three different types of organisations that require a data protection officer. So not every organisation will need one. Um, so you need to assess firstly, do you fall within one of those? And one's a public body and one is where you sort of monitor, you know, behaviour on a large extent. Um, and another is where you process what are called special categories of personal data on a large extent. So if you're a hospital or a trade unit or something like that. Um, but so not, a organi- not all organisations will need one. So a lot of organisations now at the moment will have someone that they call the data protection officer um, who just looks after data protection within an organisation. That doesn't necessarily mean that they'll need a data protection officer post-May. So they'd need to, you'd need to very carefully look at the regulation and say, do I fall within one of these categories? If you do, you have a choice of whether you appoint somebody internally um, and that person can perform other duties within the organisation but those duties cannot conflict with their duties of the data protection officer. So for some organisations that might be a difficulty because it might be, you know, they might want to appoint somebody who's very senior and their duties may potentially conflict with the duties of the data protection officer. So those types of organisations might look to somebody outside on a contract for services type basis and a consultant and try and get a consultant to do it. Other organisations, you know, like a bank, are likely to just have somebody who just solely is the data protection officer and that's their job. Or a phone company, you know, will just, because it's such a big thing, will just have a data protection officer. So it really depends on the the size of the organisation. But not a world all organizations will obviously need one and it just kind of is important to sort of bear in mind that if post may 2018 you don't need a data protection officer you don't fall within one of those categories but you still have somebody in your organization who you call the data protection officer you have voluntarily adopted that article in the regulation and you'll have to comply with it and that person who's the data protection officer will have to carry out all of the duties that are set out in that regulation so a lot of businesses, you know, might look to change the name of what they call that person to, you know, data protection champion or something like that, um, so that they don't, you know, accidentally uh, voluntarily adopt an article which in the regulation which never was intended to apply to them in the first place. I think one thing businesses are really going to have to adjust to is the idea of uh, hanging on to data, specifically when companies, as a matter of course, they do regular backups. Um, and these things might sit in, you know, a server room in, in eternity. But, you know, these are still repositories of data that have to be minded or deleted uh, after a certain period of time. Yeah. So one thing that you do need, obviously, to consider is your retention periods. And that's really difficult, a really difficult one to think about. So generally... You know, a business needs to keep it records of its business activities for six years under company law and under revenue guidelines. So you would need to keep some information for at least a period of six years. Also then, say if you sold something to somebody under a contract, that person has six years to sue you under the statute of limitations of that contract. So you might want to keep that information in case they do sue you within that six-year period. So uh, then other information like, you know, children have um, till they're 18 plus two years in order to sue you for a personal injuries claim. So if you were providing, say, medical services to a child, you might want to keep a record of the services that you provided to them for 18 years plus 
you know, until they reach the age of 18 plus the two years in order to protect yourself from a claim. So it will really depend on the information that you hold. And you might have various legal obligations to keep certain information for longer than um, a six year period under, you know, whatever statutes. And it really depends on the information that you have as to how long um, you keep it. But you shouldn't be just keeping people's information just indefinitely in case you might need it again. So I guess we can start looking at things from the consumer's perspective. Yeah. Uh, if something goes wrong, if there's a breach, if, if somebody finds out that they've had their name and address recorded because they entered a, a competition 10 years ago, I think would be a fairly common one. Yeah. What sort of procedures are there for somebody to make a complaint? Well, they can make a complaint directly to the Data Protection Commissioners, which is what, what they can do now. Or they can bring in action in damages against the data controller and the data processor for a breach of their data protection rights. And they can do that now. But the difficulty with those actions at the moment is their right to recover damages is limited to actual financial damage that they suffered. So in most data protection cases, you know, like the example you gave there, the fact that somebody kept your name for 10 years when they shouldn't have wouldn't necessarily have given you any financial or actual damage that you could prove in court. But might have caused you some distress to know that your details are there and now well from May 2018 you can now bring a claim for uh, for for general damages so non-material damages and the general data protection regulation recognizes that and the Oireachtas just published the data protection bill last week and that is repeated in there that you will have this right. It's also a very interesting uh, provision in the General Data Protection Regulation, which we just haven't had in Irish law before, and it's repeated in the bill. And it says that you can say, like litigation obviously is very expensive, so it's very expensive to bring a claim against somebody. But it says these not-for-profit organisations who are set up to protect the rights of privacy, or who have as their main aim the rights of people's privacies, can take actions on behalf of all of these people. Now, in the bill, the way it's drafted at the moment, those actions are limited only to what's known as injunctive relief. You could, you actually couldn't get damages if, at the, the way it's drafted at the moment, you couldn't recover damages for that breach if you take an action through that not-for-profit company. But that could be a very useful thing if everybody's outraged about the way X company holds its data. You know, you don't have the funds to go down to the High Court and instruct barristers and solicitors, but this not-for-profit organisation might have those funds and it can bring those claims on behalf of another number of those individuals. So that is a very unique and different thing in uh, in Irish law because to date we just haven't had uh, that uh, an ability to do that. It's an interesting point you raise about um, legislation playing catch-up, I guess, to GDPR and that we are still having legislation passed uh, at government level. Um what is driving this sort of, um, I don't want to say lethargy, but sort of a, a slow response, if you will, for something that is meant to be in train for at least a year? I, I really don't know. Um, they published the heads of the bill last May um, and nothing really happened then until last week when we got the full bill. So the heads of the bill is just the kind of general scheme of how it might look. But we got a full detailed bill. But it is only a bill. It hasn't been passed yet, so it is likely that it could change further before the legislation is actually passed. I don't know what was driving, uh, you know, what what was uh, driving that, and why the government have been have been slow in terms of passing the national legislation required. 
So I guess having sort of hyped up what can go wrong or sort of the, the penalties that there yeah. are in place. Um, I guess it's, it's fair to say also, though, however, that GDPR compliance isn't necessarily monstrous. It's not necessarily a, a massive um painful no. A to B for, for a lot of companies. No, there's been a lot of scaremongering and, you know, people don't, you know, they just hear the word GDPR. They did a lot of talk of the huge fines, 20 billion euro, 4% said the word, well, turnover. You know, it, that has been, you know, out there in the media for a while. But the general principles of data protection law haven't changed too much. So if you're complying with the general principles of data protection law, you're in a pretty good place now, you will need to do certain things. So you will need to update your privacy policy when you're collecting information from people. You will need to think about all these new rights, like the right to data portability. And, you know, the require- you need to think about the requirement to report a breach now to the Data Protection Commissioner. So you need to think about all those things. You need to look at your third party contracts and update those and update your employment contracts. But once you've kind of do all of that and get over that hurdle, if you've been complying with data protection law as it currently stands, you shouldn't have too much more to do in order to get yourself ready for May 2018. You will have some things to do all right, but it shouldn't be uh, you know, too bad. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Laura Fannin, a partner with Hayes Solicitors. That's almost it for our show this week. The programme is supported by irishjobs.ie. For the latest jobs from IT recruiters, do visit techcentral.ie forward slash jobs. That address again, techcentral.ie forward slash jobs, powered by the very good people at irishjobs.ie. Of course, you can also get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from our own website at techcentral.ie or listen to us every week online or Fridays at 5pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio and Extra. Until next time, for myself, Dusty Rhodes, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Tech Central.